0: APA, Nashville, Promoter 101. Top 10 podcasts on the board. Are you ready to play Promoter 101? And welcome now. It's episode 76 of the Promoter 101 podcast. I'm Luke Pierce, back again, of course, with Dan Steinberg. Hey there, Luke. That's right.
1: Man, 76 of these fucking things. Holy shit, dude.
0: That seems like a lot, man. I'm surprised we keep counting at this point. This is incredible that we've moved through this many in a year and a half.
1: It's amazing that we can count that
0: high. A lot of fingers and toes, man.
1: You could literally drive from the West Coast to, like, Denver and still have enough to drive back and just listen to our voices. What an awful thing.
0: Yeah, it would be New York and L.A. and back, I think, at least one time on 76 episodes. So if you're making a cross-country drive, tune in. I don't think you could make
1: L.A. to New York and then back again in 76 hours.
0: I think you absolutely could. We should ask a tour manager about this.
1: Driving New York to L.A. straight through, I don't think you can do that. Hold on. New York City to L.A. miles
0: But 30 something hours?
1: 41 hours, 2,790 miles. It would be close. Yeah, and I guess some of our podcasts run a little long, especially some of those early ones. Yeah. Anyway, we've got a great podcast this week, Red Lights. Mary Hilliard Harrington talks about the early days working for Trump, and she explains why she left the publicity side of the business to go manage Dirk Bentley.
0: It seems like it worked out for Mary, and after Mary's interview, we're going to be joined by WME UK's Alex Bewley talking about exploring the market of digital media abroad. Then we have
1: Survivor reality star Johnny Fairplay, the most well-known liar in the
0: history of Survivor, joining us on the podcast. And we've got a story from Emporium's Jason Zink and Live Nation's Zed McBull recounting an amazing war story of Jason becoming a man. It involves a deli. It involves a trip to New York. You're going to want to tune in. It's
1: more of a steakhouse than a deli. But nevertheless, it's a good time, and it's Jason's first appearance on the
2: podcast. It's
1: episode 76. I think it's about time we got my partner on here. Yeah. We got the news
0: of the week, too, so it's going to be a good episode.
2: Hi, this is Nick Farkas from Avenco. I'm going to be on Promoter 101.
0: We don't have any Promoter 101 live appearances happening in the next couple of months, but Dan has a special appearance coming up this July. What's going on, Dan? I will be
1: appearing July 24th at IAVM's Venue Connect 2018. The Promoter Agent Panel. Amazing lineup. Brian Hill from CAA. Ralph James from APA. Zink will be there. Charlie from Franks Brothers. We've got Live Nation's Riley O'Connor. I'll be moderating the whole shebang. It's in Toronto, Canada. We're going to be thick with venue people, and we're going to be drinking a shitload. It should be a good time. Come hang out with us.
0: And be sure to keep up with us on Twitter. I'm at pierce. stands at the Jew, and the show is at Promoters101. That's promoters plural, 101.
1: Don't just do Promoter101. Those guys don't tweet at all, and yet they won't give up the fucking Twitter account to us. Fuck those guys. Feel free to reach out to us anytime you want by sending us an email at at promoter 101net You can reach both of us via email at that address.
3: Patty Ann Tarleton, I'm overseeing Canada for Ticketmaster today, and I'm on Promoter 101. If you've missed any
1: of the past podcasts, you can always catch up with Promoter 101 at Promoter101.net.
0: This week we feature a classic reissue of Episode 34. That's an episode featuring Kilimanjaro Lives slash My Ticket Stuart Galbraith laying out his point of view as one of the largest promoters in the UK. He's having a
1: serious moment right now, just killing it on those Ed Sheeran dates. Cyber PR's Ariel Hyde explains the importance of handling your publicity correctly.
0: And Allison Chains' tour manager, Chuck Randall, talks about life on the road. Man, that guy's done it
1: all. From the dead to Allison Chains, he's seen some stuff. It's going to be a good conversation. We have three questions with RCM partners, Rick Farrell. Plus, Vince Vannion joins us, so that's going to be fun.
0: And make sure you subscribe to Promoter 101 wherever you podcast. Drop us a note, send us a review, send us an email. We would love to hear from you.
1: Enough of the bullshit. Let's jump right to the news, Luke.
4: Hey, this is Gino Shelton, and I'm on Promoter 101.
3: News of the Week.
0: It's time for the News of the Week, Dan. we got some shakeups happening in the agency world as Carolyn Yim and Zach Eiser were in the final rounds of negotiations for renewal with their agency deals at ICM Partners when last week they were locked out of their offices, their assistants escorted out of the building, and our buddy Dave Brooks at Billboard reported that they had landed at CAA. Now, this pair of agents works with some heavy hitters in the urban world, everything from SZA to Anderson Pock Future, Migos, Ray Schrummer, Schoolboy Q, Kalani, so many more. They're expected to bring a large portion of their roster from ICM to CAA where they'll continue to work with some of these amazing acts. Brooks reported that compensation was a major talking point. I don't necessarily want to talk about that today on the podcast, Dan, but this has got to have some impact on the very strong presence that ICM has had in the urban world. What are you thinking about this move?
1: It seems like it makes sense. Caroline has definitely got some amazing acts and things are going great for them. Jumping from agency to agency is usually a big payday thing for agents. I don't think it matters where she's at. She's going to sell to the same buyer she always has. She's going to keep her acts most likely, and she's going to get paid. She's doing really well in that space. And I don't think her and Zach are going to see any change as far as flow. Those acts are going to stay with them for the most part, and they're going to continue to make money for whatever agency they wind up working at. Absolutely. So Azov and Lewicki are at it again, coming off the Polestar Live conference in Beverly Hills. Now they're bringing venues now back for the second time at the Beverly Hilton, June 19 and 20. And clearly it's been a couple weeks since we've all seen each other. We
0: need another conference, Luke. That sounds right, Dan. Right after CMA Fest here in Nashville, are you going to be heading over to this thing or or what's your plans? I, I didn't know until an hour ago that it was happening and I don't know. And you're not really a venue guy. Well, not so much unless uh, you include Leavitt in Denver there, so.
1: I mean, I live in venues. We promote in venues. We are venue people, man.
0: We are friends of the venue. And this piece of the news brought to you by Point Presents, doing concerts in <laughs> venues everywhere. Uh, go fuck yourself. Okay, look, what else is going on in the news? <laughs> We're recording this podcast on a Thursday, but yesterday, Wednesday, Universal Music Group announced that Charlie Walk, the president of the label's Republic Group, and the record label have, quote, have mutually agreed to part ways. And this following an internal review the music executive's alleged sexual misconduct that sprung from a letter by Ms. Cooper Smith earlier this year talking about lewd conduct or alleged lewd conduct made by Charlie Walk. This effectively ends an internal investigation over Universal. Probably not the last time we're going to hear from Charlie Walk. Billboard was reporting that he had already made multiple phone calls to set up his next shop here. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Charlie back in business soon.
1: Let's move on to some other news. AEG is got a whole lot going on in the Nashville office and people are changing careers and where they're living and what they're doing and titles. It's a whole big puzzle. So let's start with this. Ali Harnell is going over to the Global Touring Group and Mike Ducharme is moving from Kansas City to Nashville physically to step into that role of running that office where he'll still oversee Kansas City, he told me. Also, Adam Weiser is going to be moving to Nashville, or already has. So you've got this whole huge shakeup over there. On top of that, Lenore has left AEG Nashville to join Paradigm as an agent. So not only a shift from companies, but fucking full-on career move and changing her job title and position in the industry completely.
0: What do you think, Luke? We talked about Lenore last week and highlighted that uh, it was a very interesting move for her and these restructurings certainly taking place in wake of that seems like something that had been long planned anyways. You know, the AEG office here in Nashville is going to be busy in the next couple of years as they open up the Yards which is a huge project that they're undertaking here, including the opening of a four or 5,000 cap club right in the middle of the Gulch here in Nashville. So, some extra bodies here to support that move and Mike D moving from KC to Nashville is a very welcome thing. We're excited to have him here in town, and Adam Weiser's been working on Old Dominion and Chris Young, so his move from New York to here totally makes sense for what he's doing. So, Music City continuing to grow and expand, and I love it, Dan.
1: Well, let's talk about the matches up now. So, now you've got just direct competition, BOC against Alley. That's a heavyweight battle. BOC is going to win it, by the way, no question. And then you've got Brian Traeger on the local level for at- Live Nation lining up against Mike D for AEG. Now that's a pretty well balanced fight. How do you pick them?
0: It's hard to argue that when you talk about national touring operations from a country perspective, that Brian O'Connell is not going to win out in that. I mean, Live Nation probably controls eighty percent of the amphitheaters of which Country actually go out and do the summer stuff. But when we start stacking up theaters and clubs, you know, AEG's got a real presence and the ability to take some of these acts into arenas. So it's not discount the fact that AEG has a lot of assets and a lot of tours they put through arenas, not necessarily through amphitheaters. So I think this makes them competitive in that space. When it comes down to, you know, amphitheaters, they're probably going to lose that.
1: It really lines up more BOC Messina when it talks about that top level of tour country nationally. Ali will add some power to that fight for sure, but BOC definitely has the venues and the acts. Absolutely. More exciting as a local level buyer from the local regional offices AEG versus Live Nation, Traeger versus Ducharme. Man, that's a fucking matchup. What's a tale of the tape, man? How do you see that one?
0: Listen, man, I mean, I think that Traeger's got a lot of institutional knowledge of how Nashville works. I'm not discounting that that Mike D can get up to speed here, but with Live Nation booking, send down here, War Memorial, put a lot of shows through there. Until that AEG-owned club opens up, it's going to be tough for them to control that complete path here in Nashville, going from your Mercies and Canneries and Highway, into marathons you know across the club scheme here
1: well and you got to keep in mind though that they're partners with the truman and kc and then that goes back to the accident so there's some family tie in there already you don't know they're definitely going to work together but you would think since that relationship already exists in kc that that's got to be really friendly on that side of things you also got to think about brian trager's got amazing fucking hair that's going to have some value in this fight are you knocking mike d's hair
0: right now Mike D's Mike D is
1: cool as shit. He's one of the coolest guys in the world. He's got the tats, he's got the vibe. Traeger's got the hair. It's a really
0: (laughs) even matchup. All right. Well, that'll do it for the news of the week. I'm Jason Miller. I'm the president of Live Nation, New York, live and direct on Promoter 101.
1: And finally, we want to take a moment to shine a spotlight on you. For all you do, thanks for listening to Promoter 101. And this makes you the Promoter 101 Badass of the Week. Congrats goes out to you.
2: Hi, this is Jason Miller
1: from Live Nation, SVP of International Emerging Markets. You are on Promoter 101.
0: In our featured interview this week, we have a special sit down with Mary Hilliard Harrington talking about her early days working for Donald Trump, explaining why she left publicity and is currently managing Dirks Bentley.
1: Mary Hilliard, thank you so much for taking the time and hanging out.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: You've done the publicity side. You've done the manager side. You've got Nashville Wired.
3: Well, hardly wired, but I've definitely been here grinding it out for the last 12 years or so and kind of working my way through different parts of the business for sure. Currently,
1: you're managing Dirks, and you're at Red Light. But let's start in the earlier days because you were a publicist and one of the biggest in the business. You had some of the biggest stars in the industry.
3: Yeah. So I moved to Nashville in 2005 and came as a publicist and kind of had to figure it out. My last gig in New York was actually working for Donald Trump on some of his entertainment properties. And when I got to Nashville, there was no other entertainment business besides country music, you know, so it was the closest thing to what I knew. And I kind of just had to start figuring it out. And I started my company, The Green Room, and started out just with Jason Aldean and Dirk's when they were nobodies and kind of built it from there.
1: So moving from being a publicist in general for a company like Trump's into being a publicist for entertainment artists, is that a huge sway?
3: I was in New York, so we didn't have country music there at the time. There was no radio station and I certainly hadn't listened to it in a very long time since I was a kid, probably. And so there was definitely a learning curve in terms of the music itself and kind of figuring that out. The publicity part of it is kind of the same anywhere you go, less of a learning curve there, certainly. But the music definitely took me a minute. Part of the reason I was so drawn to Dirk's music is because he isn't singing about cornfields and things that I did not have a whole lot of experience with. He was singing love songs and things that probably appealed slightly more to audiences and more urban city type environments. It's pretty rocking too. Yeah, it was. And it sounded different. You know, it didn't sound like the things that I thought country music were. Sort of broke some boundaries at the time. And so I was super drawn to that. And it was definitely a gateway into the format.
1: He's a gateway artist. Then I was hooked. I was on three Kenny Chesney albums a day. Yeah. So you moved to Nashville and you not working with just some random country acts. You were working with some of the biggest names in town.
3: Yeah, you know, I built it, like I said, from the ground up and it was just me in the beginning and then I slowly figured out how to grow the business and at the end, you know, had six or seven sort of headliner status clients. And it was fun. Publicity is a real grind. I tell everybody it's way harder than management. You have to hustle, definitely in terms of breaking the artist. But then even once they're superstar status, it's still probably most akin to like a sales gig. Everything is very results oriented and you're up against a lot of deadlines and you get paid shit for all of that. And so one day I woke up and was like, wait, why am I doing this? I remember laying in bed one night thinking... Okay, wait, I've been with Jason Aldean since 2005 when he was playing the Nashville Palace out across from the Opry, and now he's selling out stadiums. And I have been paid the exact same from the time he was at the Nashville Palace to the time that he's selling out stadiums, because that's the publicity gig, right? For
1: the sake of the conversation, we should point out that that's not Jason in particular. That's the model of the industry.
3: Totally. It has nothing to do with him. They're all that way, right? Right. I mean, it's
1: it's a flawed model for for the the publicity publicity part of
3: the gig. Yeah. Yeah. And it took me a long time to be able to put my own interest in front of my artist's interest and say, you know what, I have to do this for me and for my family. And if I want to keep growing here and be challenged then I need to make a change. And so I decided to do the management thing full time. And I've been so fortunate to work with Dirks, And he's like the best dude in the business. And that has been one of the greatest joys of my entire career.
1: You hear a lot of people say that with their clients, but Dirks is actually the guy that you see watching the opening band from the soundboard or will actually go into the crowd and watch the acts. But he's the guy that's there all day long hanging. And if you bump into him backstage, he'll have a cocktail and talk to you. And he's the nicest guy.
3: He is just the most genuine, nice, authentic guy. I and, mean, I, you know, people are really drawn to him because of that. He's also just really thoughtful and generous to the people around him. And is, he's a good dad. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And people are super drawn to that. And I feel as fortunate to have him be sort of my main focus
1: print's kind of going away. There's less column inches in every paper as the weeklies are getting thinner and disappearing and the content's going digital and there are less dailies. Did that make it harder as a publicist with less and less inches to fill and outlets to go to?
3: The job definitely changed. I mean, I feel like through the late 2000s, it definitely turned more to like message management, I think more so than like getting front page stories and newspapers when an artist goes to town. I mean, There's so much happening on social media and a lot of it was directed at making sure the message was right, because the fans are really the ones spreading the message at this point.
1: So you were more in charge of keeping everything on brand?
3: A lot of on brand stuff and making sure that what we were doing in the media, that is what was going to be shared by the fans on social media. So making sure that all of the angles were right.
1: It's almost like a politician and staying a message.
3: Much more of a focus, whereas before it was just set phoners, book TV, get the word out that whoever's going to be in town or they have a new album album out or whatever the launch was.
1: Before we jump into the management side, the word publicist is such an easy title to take on. There are so few good publicists and there's this world of real publicists that can get you on the front page of the entertainment section and have that ability to do that and get you several things in each market and there are people that are asking for your press list. And just randomly cold calling and the difference between those two. And you are clearly the first. You're the gold standard of that. But the difference is amazing there.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, too, like the best publicists to me are the ones who pretty quickly figure out what an artist brand is and what that story is that you're trying to tell and really craft that and hone that in and make sure. Because otherwise you can get the media, but it doesn't mean anything And so really making sure that you're sort of carving a lane, so to speak, for an artist and what their story is and really pushing that forward. That's what people buy into. And the press will buy into that and they'll cover it. And then obviously the fans eventually buy into that once the press is on board, too.
1: Jumping from the publicity world to management, those are different tools. What were the challenges in making that jump?
3: Gosh, I still make mistakes, you know, all the time. But I'm so lucky because in the publicity role, I got to work with so many different managers really closely, you know, so... I was able to really learn from like Clarence Spotting and Corrin Capshaw and all these guys who've been doing it for so long. And they were all so kind to like kind of take me under their wing and always keep me in the loop on management related conversations that they were having, because ultimately publicity was a part of it. But I feel like I learned so much from those guys, and both of them continue to help me all the time. And so there were definitely challenges, but The transition was, I think, easier than I thought it was going to be because I had so many great people around me that I could lean on.
1: You switched to management. Dirks was already a superstar when you got into the management business. How do you go from switching genres and landing a client that already has that kind of stature?
3: It's funny. I started with Dirks on the management side about the time he was kind of rebooting with a bluegrass record. Back in 2010, he decided that he kind of needed to get off the grid and make a bluegrass record, which at the time everybody was like, this is crazy. Like you're starting to sell out some of these smaller arenas and like the business is growing and why would you ever do this? But he was just not feeling terribly inspired by the music he was making and needed to kind of get off the grid and recenter. And we kind of talk about it as the next phase of his career, sort of getting this like reboot with the Bluegrass record, because really from the Bluegrass record on, we had Home and then Roser, and then Black and now the new one that we're about to put out the mountain. It has been less of a plateau and more of a upward trajectory. And it all goes back to like the albums he's making and the songs. Because
1: he's inspired again.
3: He's totally inspired again. And he sort of got lost for a little bit musically until he refound it. And the songs are, everyone's better than the last one. And he keeps pushing himself. And there are a lot of artists who they find their thing and then they kind of just do that thing. And Dirk's kind of keeps reinventing himself in some ways musically with the sounds of his records. and. And it keeps it interesting for the fans. And, you know, our shows are stronger than they've ever been. And he's better as a live performer. I think about his live show, like back in the day when he couldn't afford any production, it really forced him to become a true entertainer. There were no bells and whistles to rely on. He had to run around. I mean, he had to force people to pay attention to what he was doing and singing about. And so all of that experience, he kind of needed all of that and, and the ups and downs of the career and the touring to get to where he is now. He's just a phenomenal entertainer. Manner. Andy has the bells and whistles. He
1: always leaves it on the stage. And even at the early days when we were doing ballrooms. He wanted to look at doing thrusts very early and carrying extra lights, and definitely saw it from Kenny early. The bigger, better production meant something to the fans, and wanted to adapt that stuff as soon as possible. And was spending pretty much everything he was making on extra yeah, production and from early on. And he'll tell you, on.
3: I mean, he would be the first one to sit here right now and say, "And I got way ahead of myself. I sh- probably shouldn't have have gotten so far ahead of myself because I was spending all this money and going into some really big venues that weren't filling up."
1: Yeah, they stepped up quick to handle the production and make the show look right, and the ticket sales were. Made Maybe a beat behind.
3: Yeah. And so he ended up having to dial it back when he had to dial that some of that production back, you know, and kind of reboot with this bluegrass thing. It really was starting from not scratch because there was a good base there. But, you know, taking a step back and sort of readjusting everything.
1: The video, the production, the whole thing is just a mega rock show.
3: It's big. You know, he's always been way more drawn to like the Pearl Jam, U2. It has that feel. R- yeah, rock thing. How many
1: semis do you guys carry when you go out normally?
3: Well, I just left a m- meeting with our production manager and I'm trying to get him to get it from eight back down to seven.
1: And that's a huge weekly difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a big show. It's a big show. So seven. So what is that? Four buses.
3: It's five buses.
1: Your fuel alone each week is a huge number. With yeah, that,
3: it's a big show.
1: That just gets better and better. You guys package well. You do the amphitheaters. It's always yeah, great doing shows. Yeah, we're the
3: amphitheaters, and Jerks is really particular about support, and it's super important. He probably learned this from Kenny as well. I think you know that's what he'd say is that that kind of uh, backstage is just as important as out in the crowd, and so he works really hard to make sure that the support acts he has out and the vibe backstage is. So special and cool. And so, yeah, this year we have the Brothers Osborne and Lanco out and it all fits together. I think it gives the fans, they know what they're going to get with this package.
1: You started as an independent as a publicist. And then when you went to management, you were doing it by yourself for the first run too, right? But then you became part of Red Light. Yeah. So going from being an independent to now having a boss, although Corin definitely lets you be an entrepreneur. Is that weird now being at someone else's shop or is that easier?
3: It's been an amazing transition for me. I First of all, Corin is such a great guy and super supportive. I would say he's as supportive of me as he is of the artists that I manage. I mean, he wants me to do really well also. And so he helps give you the tools to go and make it yourself. And the people who are able to take advantage of that and the red light system do really, really well. And it's been a really amazing opportunity for me. I don't have any negatives to say about it
1: there are more resources available to you working for a big company like that?
3: Totally. I mean, we have a huge digital team at this point, which focusing on streaming and social media and all of those things that I don't want to spend my time learning that. I want people who are really good at that doing it for me. And between that and brand partnerships and, you know, radio marketing and all of these things that Red Light offers, you're able to really tap into a wealth of people and resources that can really help take things to the next level. And it's Awesome.
1: Let's take it back to the 101 part of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So you're a manager. We've had the agents and managers on in the past, but to you in your vision of the job, what is the description of a manager in your mind?
3: I mean, you really are, you know, just sort of the center point in landing a lot of airplanes and using airplane analogies because dirks is a pilot so often hear him talking about you know
1: the budget's your baby right like overall like making sure that there's money left over for dirks when the tour is over and the album cycle's over
3: yeah money left over is important and and two, just for me i think it's having some sort of a long-term vision right because the day-to-day operations are important but kind of knowing where you're going next is more important And I think that's a huge part of the job that probably doesn't get talked about as much. You know, it's a lot of dealing with the agent and the business manager and the publicist and the sponsorship guy and all of those and and the tour crew and everybody on the road. It is all of those things and all of that's really important to keeping it running, but it's where are we going? And that is the part that is the most exciting to me.
1: You've got one of the most experienced agents in the world when it comes to country. You've got probably the biggest agent in country, J.W.S. Totally. It's gotta be nice to have, I mean, those guys, were roommates, right? So the bond between them and like them knowing each other so well and doing it together, like it's got to be kind of one of those things where it's like, you don't have to worry about micromanaging that so much. Just No, them.
3: I mean, Jay's the best. Could not imagine doing this job without him and kind of having him there for the ride with us. And obviously, you know, now majority of our tour is Live Nation. And so there's a whole built-in system there with VOC and his team. And we're in a really good groove. And Jay and Brian and I talk almost every day. Well, having them on board
1: has got to be really helpful for traffic because you've got to be constantly worried about where Luke is and where Kenny is and where Eric is and the idea of... Such a
3: domino effect, you know, with all those guys and knowing where everyone's going. And Who the support is. And
1: you don't want to wind up in Kentucky in the same week as those other guys. And they don't want to be there either because you guys are going to cannibalize each other's sales. So that's got to be a huge part of each other's resources of Jay having Eric's routing. Yeah.
3: Between Jay and O'Connell, they know where everyone's going to be on any given day. Probably now through the middle part of 2019 at this point, you know, it's very easy to bob and weave around other traffic with them for sure.
1: So at this point, is it okay? we got an album cycle and we want to go out during this time frame and then you could go wait for BOC and Jay to say this is where everybody else is. So This is probably the path we should take opposed to saying I want to be in Chicago on the 13th.
3: No, I mean I definitely don't get as specific as I want to be in Chicago on the thirteenth because I want to be in Chicago on the right day for Dirks. Typically, if I'm like forecasting out the next two years of when an album might come or when singles are being released, we can get pretty far ahead of it. You know, have a pretty good idea of where we'll be in 2019, not down to the actual date because that part takes a while to run the traps and clear the holds and do all of those things. But I, I definitely know where and help direct okay, well, I know this year we want to play the garden and we want to play the Hollywood Bowl. So let's go ahead and get those holds on the dates we want. So and you then- point out
1: the milestones and you know that you're routing in and out of the festivals, exactly. So those pieces fall together. The rest of it's just about routing.
3: Yeah, and I have such smart touring people around me. Corin, the best. Brian and Baru, awesome. little bit of experience there. A little yeah. bit of experience there. Jay, I mean, it's amazing. And I'm the only girl in the mix, so I keep them a little bit scared of me at all times. You know? <laughs>
1: Because you were a publicist and you knew what that job is supposed to be, did that build into making you a better manager, knowing all of that other job and having those all of those tools?
3: Yeah, I think it was the best training ground. And, you know, it's so funny because managers almost always come from someplace else. You know, they were either a former label guy, a former agent, a former tour manager, like you. Or
1: they were on the fries at McDonald's, yeah.
3: Totally. Except some doing that. I mean, Corin was hanging up posters for Dave Matthews in in a bar, you know, I mean, everyone kind of comes from somewhere else. I don't know. There are not many people who wake up and are like, I'm going to be a manager. Let me go figure this out. You have to go get experience somewhere. And mine just happened to come more from the publicity branding type world. I mean, it's the best training ground, I think.
1: Learn by doing. Yeah. When it comes to management, do you have any advice for people trying to get in the business?
3: I mean, I guess my best advice is just to work with artists that you really love, whose music really inspires you, because management is such a 24-hour-a-day gig. You know, that agent is very rarely ever getting the 2 a.m. text about something or a phone call about something. And You have to really love it because a lot of times the rest of your life is not necessarily put on hold, but can come in second place. And so you got to really be into this and you got to really love the music and want to work for it 24 hours a day. And so if you can find that something you're willing to put that much time and energy and focus into, then nothing will stop you.
1: I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for having me. Mary's on top of her game right now, and it's easy to see why. Dirks is just killing it. Having an amazing moment that's been going on for, I don't know, 15 years or so. I see no end in sight and only growing. Hello, this is Sarah Mertz. I work at Eventbrite and you are listening to Promoter 101. Tweets
0: of the Week. So, Dan, you actually got on Twitter this week. It's pretty great. Finally, some brand new Promoter 101 tweets. It's been a hot second.
1: Yeah, so uh, no one had fucked with me for a
0: moment, so I had nothing to moan about on social media, but we're back in the bitching game this week, Luke. Let's get into them. start here. When you reroute the tour just to avoid giving the guy with the shitty deal the show.
1: Yeah, this one should be a tour promoter 101, actually, or maybe an agent 101. But we all know that guy that you really just don't want to give the show to because he's sending you
0: just a shitty offer. So fuck him. When the venue sends front of house cost as an hourly per person charge without telling you how many people you need to cover their house, instead of just saying the front of house is going to cost this in the worst case, hashtag promoter 101.
2: A
1: lot of us have never been in your room, or let alone in the market. So for you to tell us it's $17 an hour per guy and not give us any idea how many guys you need to cover your room is just amazingly impossible. It's just better to tell us, hey, worst case scenario, a sold out rock show is going to look like this or a sold out comedy show is going to look like this, opposed to breaking it down per person because we have no idea how many people you need. Give us the worst case ballpark. We're always happy when the
0: bill goes down at the end of the night. I wish venue contracts could be longer. Said no one ever. And That'll do it for Promoter 101 Tweets. You can follow Dan on Twitter. He is at TheJew.
2: Hey, it's Sam Kinkin, and you're listening to Promoter 101.
1: Oh, this is a special one. Zed and Jason are going to recount the amazing war story of Jason becoming a man. Mazel tov, everyone. Jason Zink's Bar Mitzvah.
2: So in the mail uh, over the summer, I get an invitation I open it up and it's to my own bar mitzvah and I'm super confused and Steinberg has clearly sent this out. So I call him up and say, hey, this is really funny, but uh, what the fuck is this about? He informs me that uh, not only is it my bar mitzvah and it's funny, a funny story, but he sent it out to half the industry to come to my bar mitzvah. It's a very exclusive event. Clearly I'm not Jewish. <laughs> this is con- <laughs> This is confusing. <laughs> Yeah, we were hanging out in New York and Steiny does these dinners, you know, it's usually a group of very friendly, awesome people. And he's like, yeah, we're going to a bar mitzvah today. And I was like, well, bar mitzvah, aren't those for like 12 year old kids, boys? (laughs) He's like, no, 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 we're we're going to a bar mitzvah. And I was like, all right, let's do it, man. You know, so we snake through New York. It was a rainy night, I remember. And we pull up to this place and. It looked like a dump from the outside, man. It was like, we look inside and there's... This was not a high-class establishment. No, it was, it, into. it was absolutely not. It was just this long table and they'd set up these water bottles that look like you killed somebody with them.
1: Kind of old school neighborhood basement, like set up the whole family come to visit dinner style. What was
2: Oh, uh, can we say what Sammy's it was? Romanian Romanian. That's what it was. Yeah, that's right. Like in the Bowery. Yeah. And Sammy's, when you tell people from New York that you're going there, like, oh my God, you're going to love it. This is the best place ever. It was probably some of the best food I've at New York. But, you know, Steiny says, okay, watch this. So, we go inside and there's a dude. He looked like he'd seen some action, this guy. He was playing the keyboard in one corner and he was playing like traditionally Jewish songs. Oh, yeah. You got the Dai
1: everything going on. It's awesome. Good dancing going on. You
2: know, and clearly- oh, The frozen bottle or, you know, bottles frozen uh, of vodka onto the uh, Yeah, right. they came
1: in blocks of ice. There you go.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we walk inside and I quickly glance around and notice that I am literally the only brown guy <laughs> in the establishment. And clearly, I was not the only person that had noticed it, And the guy that's playing the keys basically just looked at me, stopped playing the keys, and suddenly there's silence in the room, and he points at Steinian and says, "Who brought the Palestinian?" <laughs> <laughs> not really in a safe place anymore. Yeah, no, it was it was it was hilarious. And, you know, I mean, the night went on and, you know, much fun was had and cut to next scene and we're doing a, a dance around the table. And, you know, Stine yeah, that was full. Everyone up and we were dancing across around. the entire restaurant. Yeah. Big, huge dance circle. It was one of the greatest nights of my life. <laughs> that was amazing. And uh, yeah, I can't believe that. Evan. What
1: was the line? The packy's dancing. What, yeah. What? yeah.
2: Like, <laughs> I mean, that was like, fucking. that literally derogatory. But everybody was, <laughs> you know, everybody was so much. Back back. Back. Hey! Yeah, you know, was like, oh, look at that. You know, I mean, he's he, he danced. Too <laughs> but yeah, ridiculous thing all the way around, but yeah, Dave Brooks suddenly sends out pictures and a story through Amplify and suddenly my bar mitzvah is now uh, global news. <laughs>
1: and now one of us, one of us, one of us.
2: <sighs> oh my God. Yeah. I remember that. The well, legendary story of Jason Zink's bar mitzvah. <laughs> it was awesome.
0: Thanks guys. Of course, Dan, I had no idea what to expect here. It's so fucking random that Jason Zink himself has a bar mitzvah. Only you would do that, Dan. Why, of course.
3: This is Marsha Vlasic, president of AGI Talent Agency on Promoto 101.
0: We're joined next by WME UK's Alex Bewley talking about exploring the
5: digital marketplace abroad.
1: We're at ILMC in London. I'm joined by William Morris's King of Digital, Mr. Alex Booley. Thank you for spending time with
5: us, my friend. Of course. So It was funny. We were just saying that it was a year ago today that we were back here for ILMC. Yeah, there's something about London when everybody else is getting ready for South By and we're screwing around drinking over here. It's great. On that point, I think it was at your panel, which I was speaking on, that I'd just done a shot of tequila because it was a choice between that and explaining to you what the YouTube certification exam was. Truth or Patron? <laughs> Truth or Patron? To my credit, I did try for about 30 seconds and then gave up and just took the shot. It's what the audience wants. <laughs> it's what get, I mean. drunk, get drunk, get It's what the people want. Give them what they want. That was a fun panel. I believe Rose and Rosie were on it as Rose well. Rose and Rosie were on it, who I think you've worked with a little bit on the touring side now. Yeah, it was I'm fun. They played right? the States last year. That was great. They just won the UK Digital talent of the year award, I think, at the BBC Awards at the end of last year. So they're doing really well. I enjoy both of them thoroughly. Very, very big personalities, the two of them. A lot of fun, yeah. Who also did the shot. (laughs) They did. I think everyone did on that panel.
1: Let's talk about what's going on in the
5: industry because digital is having a massive moment. And if you're not paying attention to it, you're missing a huge part of the industry. A hundred percent. You know, WME certainly got in there very early. I think from an international standpoint, with the first global talent agency to set up a digital department in london but it's kind of crossing over everything what we do certainly it's everything from you know we were just talking about virtual reality augmented reality you know our esports business you know with e-league we launched in the us to kind of the podcast side the tech side so it's a very broad landscape you need to kind of keep updated with it all the time that changes from week to week day to day what's e-league so e League is a deal that we did with Turner Broadcasting in America. It's the first televised esports league. It goes across various different games, Overwatch, Street Fighter, Counter Strike, we also did originally. And it's streaming on Twitch, and then it has sort of a prime time slot in the US where it's a televised competitive esports gaming. So you're talking about playing video games competitively? Exactly. And this is now selling out arenas, right? Selling out arenas globally. It's a massive, massive business. I mean, you, you see the guys on the team now. They almost look like Formula One drivers. They've got brands all over them. Twitch's name is being spoken about all the time, everywhere with kind of live streaming, which I thought was interesting. There was a couple of articles that came out last week. One was the success of Twitch. There's a guy called Ninja, who you should check out a recent article of. He's making somewhere a quarter of a, a million dollars a month on Twitch, just from live streaming. For playing video games. For playing video games. But also, they have their IRL side, which is more just talking about direct to their fans. So, it's not necessarily playing a game, it's, you know, speaking directly to their audience as well. But then also, in the same breath, Facebook Live. I mean, that's kind of fallen off the map. So. You know, with Vine, you know, recently kind of Snapchat's taken a bit of a drop off. There are platforms that are rising and others that are dropping off and the landscape is changing all the time. Now, this is a young space. When I say young, I'm not talking about 30 somethings. I'm not talking about 25 somethings. I'm talking about middle school girls are setting the pace for a lot of this technology. A hundred percent. I was with my nephew a couple of weeks ago and I said to him, I was like, talk to me about the gaming space. Like, who are you watching on, on YouTube? Who are you watching on Twitch? Like, who should we be looking out for? to assigning targets. Your R&D is your nephew, huh? Indeed. Like, it's funny. You get a lot of the time when we get approaches for our clients, when it's more of the traditional space like a TV production company or a broadcast or whatever, It's normally that someone's daughter or or son has come in and said, I'm a huge fan of these people. Let's try and work. You should be working with them. You know, you look at platforms like Musical.ly, you know, Gen Z platforms that are just coming through, you know, that are taking over from Vine. Like it's a very young, skewing audience. They're supposed to be 13, but a lot of them will lie just so that they can access the platform.
1: This blows me away. The next kid that's going to get a job from
5: Geiger is going to be 13 years old, (laughs) full on like LeBron mode, like scouting them out of middle school. It is. But I mean, that is part of the challenge within the job is for everyone stateside and on our side of the pond here is that you have to stay on top of everything because it's the only way that you're fully going to be able to do the best job for your clients to understand the landscape. You do have to stay on top of it. And from myself coming through the music lane at WME, it's completely different. Obviously, you know, from a kind of you, you need to be up dated with all the tastemakers on the music side and you know know what sort of music's popping who's coming through but in digital it's very different but it's been an exciting change for me it's been amazing how much of the international space of youtube is regionalized
1: that an act is big in europe or an act is big in america or an act is big in i don't know
5: pakistan how much of that is about where they're at versus it just being an international success because I don't think it all translates right? It's a good question. I think out of the US certainly you see that their audience will translate. Certainly everything that we've brought out of America on the touring side, on the live side has done well. Whether we're taking Lily Singh out to India or the Caribbean if we're taking Ben Phillips out to Australia, bringing MadCon which was just incredible over across the whole world. MadCon? So MadCon stands for Meet and Greet Convention. We toured it around the U.S., going from the sort of hotel ballrooms into the more traditional music spaces. And then, yeah, we took it out on the road. We took it to the U.K., across mainland Europe, to Australia, put on a production company, Magical Elves, who ended up putting together a Netflix documentary that went out just over a year ago. So this is basically a Comic-Con, but for like internet stars to do meet and greets. Yeah, so there is a performance, you know, there's DJs, there's live music, sort of big party atmosphere. What are you selling tickets was? I mean, the guys probably did somewhere... Around twenty five thousand tickets in an hour from just on sale. It was incredible. Holy shit. Again, you know, to the point we were talking about earlier, it's it's that hysteria coming from America that's kind of trickled down, and you know people see it trending on Twitter and going out sharing photos, and there's press going out and and everything. But the guys promoted the whole tour themselves. There was no real traditional push in the press. and yeah, we we sold everything out globally what are tickets going for i mean the meet and greet ticket in london was i think about 99 pounds and that's to meet not just cam who's the headliner but the other guys there were different scalings it was quite an experience i flew out for the first night in dublin and getting back on the plane and, and when i landed the next day hearing that some fans had found out where cam and the guys were staying called in a bomb threat at the hotel so that the guys would all come out of the hotel and they could just jump them because there's just that fan hysteria it's just, it's a different level. When you level. say jump that, you mean to get to them, that hurt them, right? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Just get, not get to the them, shit yeah. out of oh, them. No, okay. no, no. It's definitely not that kind of a hysteria. It's just all the girls that want to meet them. And, and that was a big part so of these the guys story. are becoming rock stars. They are becoming rock stars. It was funny kind of telling that to a lot of the you know traditional music agents that I share an office with, because they're working with the biggest DJs and the biggest rock bands. And there's that kind of perception that digital talent are all squeaky clean. And they're working with brands every day. And so to hear that, you know, there's in the documentary, the guys got in a big brawl in Cologne while they were out there. The production staff left the tour halfway through the bomb threat, you know, other bits and pieces. I mean, me and David Levine, who was leading it out of the U.S., were saying it's a great job. They've got a camera crew on them because it's an incredible documentary that they've put in together. Let's talk about William Morris for a second. Geiger was really on the uptick on this early that there needed to be a division that really focused on this in both offices, LA and here. So Mark's as much, I guess, a tech geek as he is a music head, really, kind of his background and everything as well. And him and Chris Jackerman, who leads the digital department, You know, Mark has always been very vocal about his support and that more people need to be investing their time in digital and just being aware of of the space. And as I mentioned, I I was working in the music department. Mark came over one year and said, everyone's got to be aware of what Chris Jackman and the guys are doing in digital, across digital media, esports, some of the topics we talked about earlier. And I just started looking into the space and immersing myself in it and familiarizing myself with the talent and the publications. You know, this was probably about four or five years years ago now looking at the industry then to what it is now is incredible but it's putting together a document with mobile penetration to the live side to you know esports talent potential music venues existing events like insomnia gaming event and then saying look we need to set this department up here and the guys were hugely supportive and just said let's do it Crazy space and time in the industry where you're seeing strong, huge numbers for an act that literally could be one guy in his bedroom with his iPhone creating content. And the sky's the limit for the digital native talent because we've had talent that have been writing a book, going on tour, producing a TV show that they'll be starring in all in the space of 12 months, then it's kind of, where do we take it then? And, and then it's looking at podcast opportunities. It's looking at mobile app opportunities. It's we're trying to build sustainable businesses long-term because the truth is this is all so new. We don't know what the lifespan for a digital talent is. You know, we've got clients that have got their own production companies, their own management companies. There's so much else that they're getting invested in now that's gonna see them through for the long haul. Let's talk about the podcast space.
1: Something that ironically, I don't really know much about but have had the opportunity to promote the No Sleep podcast and Pod Save America, Love it or Leave It. And
5: it's amazing. Pod sold out in a handful of minutes. It sold out. Everybody. I mean, that's a great success story for us, but we're really looking to invest more in the live space. And I think when we're approaching not just the existing podcast platforms and producers, but also, you know, more traditional people that haven't got into the podcast space before, it's about positioning it as something where. You know, we've got H3H3 doing it on Twitch now. They're doing their podcast on Twitch now. The live space is a big area as well. There's podcast festivals popping up. There's the London Podcast Festival, I think, at the end of the summer. But, you know, from an international standpoint, the UK certainly is nowhere near the numbers that America are doing. I think they were saying that I think 50% of America are maybe listening to podcasts now. And it's not at that level in the UK. We've got a couple of big platforms here. The likes- so we're
1: nerdier on something?
5: Well, you're at, you're definitely out ahead. But, you know, to be fair, and I talk about this with my US colleagues a lot, is that the US is way out ahead. And, and obviously there are certain aspects like esports in Korea and in Southeast Asia, different areas where it's maybe not ahead. But largely on the digital side, the U.S. is probably two years ahead of the U.K. You said that stat last
1: year when we were on the panel, and it kind of caught me off guard that we were so far ahead. Because when you think the U.K., particularly London, you think the heartbeat of cool and technology
5: and out front on everything. Well, and historically... Scandinavia now, I mean, if you, you really? look at what this, Yeah, with, with Spotify and Acast, what those guys are doing. I think it's a great resource for us to have you know, the bulk of our business, digital business in the US because the team there are setting a precedent for deals in the market. And then we can use their experiences to you know, inform our clients on the ground here to say, well, look, this has been trialed out in the US. Maybe we should come at it from a different angle. But you look at you know, YouTube Red still hasn't launched over in the UK. But Watch still hasn't launched over in the UK yet. Certainly YouTube Red has been running for, what, two, three years in the US now. So it's frustrating, I think, from a talent standpoint as well, because these guys see the opportunity. And not to say that you know you see Joe and Casper have done stuff on YouTube Red and PewDiePie. There's other people over here that have. But I think largely it's been US talent that's in the benefits of those platforms, those sort of premium level.
1: It's just one of those things where I certainly wouldn't think that we're leading that space. I think we're learning by doing and we're big on R&D. I think that that's part of the industry is when I'm having a conversation with someone like you and I'm not saying... I don't get it. I say, that's interesting. Let's put a couple dates up and see what happens. Because I think that there's something to be learned in a lot of spaces. We may not have known a couple of years ago, but we've got three tours now that are completely dependent on Netflix. It's
5: like Netflix wasn't a thing 10 years ago. But if we weren't open for trying those things, we wouldn't be there. I'm still shocked because, you know, when we got into this out of London about three, four years ago, it was such a new space that we didn't have case studies, we didn't have, you know, a point of reference that we could bring to people like yourself to say, you know, this is doing big numbers. And I still speak to buyers talking about the new clients we're signing, the numbers that they're generating online, kind of success stories that we have now, because we have a lot of stories and not just in the UK, globally. And people are still hesitant to get into it in a big way.
1: So is this something that you find a problem with the older buyers per se, the guys that are running their markets on the arena level? I would imagine this is an easier thing to pitch to the younger guys that are doing the hipper stuff that's out there
5: it's not really it you know it, it seems to be some people just get it and some people are maybe a little bit happier to take a risk and and to your point there's not a lot cool about digital as you know as much as oh, i disagree there is from an industry side but i think you know when you're talking about working with like the coolest djs in the world and everything like that and i think maybe digital talent don't have that same view in the market yet
1: Maria sings is absolutely a rock. she's amazing she walks on stage and i'm in a theater i feel like it's the beatles taking stage it's shea the excitement the energy the yelling
5: mothers wanting refunds because it's too loud <laughs> it's amazing yeah it is and, and you know one thing that we're really trying to do now because i think the perception in the market was a little bit digital talent didn't know how to put on the show that, that it was very much trying to just go from being you know doing videos in the back of your bedroom to to getting up on stage and one thing that we've been working on for for a while now is pairing talent with live tour producers to help them craft that 60 to 90 minute show and a perfect example of that was our client Markiplier, who has just finished his first european tour a few days ago and it's an incredible show and it is a high ticket price point a lot of the time but i think fans are really seeing the value in the show i think bringing back magcon again there was that fans often don't need to know what the show is They're, they they just want to meet the people And I think what we're starting to educate the market with now and talent are too, is that these guys have, a lot of them have great, you know, disciplines. They're they're singers, gamers, that they can come on stage and really, you know, comedians, they can really hold together a proper show. Well, it's an interesting thing with the podcasts. These are guys
1: that can put together content for an hour each week or whatever. However, those guys know how to write a show. The YouTube guys, when you try to convert their minute viral video into a live show, We've seen problems with this historically. It's a hit and miss thing because writing a minute and holding an audience's attention for 45 minutes to 75, there is a different vibe there. And I think it's something that not everybody gets. Those things of people that have
5: to be able to learn how to adjust to that. And not everybody's creative in that kind of platform. No, you're absolutely right. This works across both digital talent and the podcast side. And I think it's about working with the talent to understand that it's, do we do a small underplay show just to get your confidence Make sure you're comfortable on stage, kind of reacting to things that might go wrong or, or, or might throw you off course a little bit. And then on the digital side, I think, you know, events like VidCon, Summer in the City, Insomnia. Yeah, um, you're going nice. to have to define that stuff for my audience. VidCon. Right. So VidCon is video convention, I guess, is, is what it's short for. But it's a the biggest event of the, the calendar it takes place in Anaheim, the, the U.S. version. It's thirty-five thousand kids a day. It's you know arena stages and uh, outdoor stages, you know lounges, panels, meet and greets. You should definitely try and get along this year or next year. It's the premier event in the digital space. And summer in the city. Summer in the City is the London equivalent at the Excel. That's the same format. And this runs for multiple days, right? Like three or four days? Multiple days. So they usually have a creator day on the Friday where, you know, you'll get a lot of the industry people go along, a lot of the up and coming creators that will go to sit, sit in panels and hear about, you know, new services or best practices, audience growth, that kind of thing. And then they'll have the fan days, which will be the the bulk of the event. But it's just solely focused on digital native talent.
1: It's this new space and there's so much money to be had. If you don't understand it and you don't see where it's going, you're just leaving it there for somebody
5: else to grab. You are. And I think that's why getting into the space early is so important because you have to understand one thing that I found very quickly is you have to take all the meetings, you have to build up that contact base and understand all the different elements, whether it's the multi-channel networks who are kind of building out audience for individual talent as well as bringing them brand opportunities. Um, So that's people like your full screens, Studio 71s, to the platforms themselves, YouTube doing the YouTube certification exam. But you take a lot of meetings and you don't always know that there's going to be money at the end of it.
1: Well, what do you look for? Well, let's talk numbers.
5: Obviously YouTube is the premier platform in digital when you're talking about a lot of these talents. What are the numbers where you're just like, yeah, there's something there. Coming from the music space again, and and obviously you're on that side, it's difficult to compare because you might hear a song and think that's a hit. And then, you know, there might be an amazing manager attached or producer involved or a label on board. And so you see there's something there before there's a really, really a big audience behind it. With digital, it's different. I could watch a video on YouTube, you know, after this meeting and think it's the best thing I've ever seen. But if no one else is watching it, then you, you can't really build a business around it. And it's about getting people in the room and finding out what their vision is for their brand long term because as i say we don't know really what the lifespan is for some of these people yet so it's the people that are really aspirational and are looking to kind of break the mold that are, are the ones that are going to go very far and it's about then us sitting down with them working out a, a plan and, and putting the right team around them that are going to help them achieve that all great information, but you didn't answer my question. So I, I did kind of answer it because yes, they have to have probably a minimum threshold of something around 500,000, I would say, subscribers. Okay. I mean, views are sort of a vanity metric. Engagement is the most important thing now because you could have 20 million subscribers, if no one is watching your videos, commenting on them, sharing the content, liking it, etc. then you might as well have, have no subscribers. You'd rather have someone that's got 500,000 subscribers who are all invested in in the brand who are buying a ticket, buying a book, you know, super fans than someone that's got 20 million followers that just aren't checking in with their their daily uh, social feeds every, you know. Now, can you fake the numbers like you can on Twitter? Can you buy subscribers? You see a bit of that in certain markets, but I think that's, I think, where you see the vanity metrics of subscribers versus actual engagement, views versus engagement. Yeah, it's interesting. I've noticed the buying the Twitter followers has been a thing over the last couple of years. Yeah, and to be honest, I think Twitter, whilst it's something that we, you know, it's a a platform we work with a lot, I think when you you're actually looking, it's not a platform that the sort of younger digital talent that we work with are utilizing as much as they are with an Instagram or a YouTube or in Twitch or something like that. The reason that people go to YouTube first is because with AdSense revenue, you can earn a steady stream of income creating video content. And that's enabling you to fund your bigger aspirational projects like a tour, bringing in a video editor or traveling. We've got clients that go to different parts of the world and create content there. Maybe it's seeing their fans for the first time not in a, a tour capacity but in just just going there and, and you know doing a pop-up meet and greet or something like that
1: the idea of the meet and greet and how many people want to meet these people is amazing to me but
5: i think what you have to see it as is the artists that you grew up with i don't think because i you know i'm not unfortunately as young as, as some of you know as, as my nephew <laughs> which is why i'm going to in for advice but we never thought Saw those idols as people that we could meet. We'd think we'd like to go to a gig one day or see them in a festival or something. You but guys
1: didn't have the pop
5: star like mall tours with the Tiffany's and. Uh, I'm a I'm a heavy metal fan, so we didn't. really <laughs> not yeah, it's don't tell me you don't know who New Kids on the Block
1: are. Oh, like, yeah, come oh, yeah, on. Yeah, of
5: course I know who those guys are, but i maybe i maybe I didn't see that side of it early, but I think. that relatability with digital talent you know fans feel like when they're watching a youtube video these people are speaking to them directly when they comment in the comment section across the different platforms and these guys and girls will reply it's like wow I'm I'm actually I've got a dialogue with my biggest star in the in the world my, you know then being able to go to a show it's like you know I messaged you you messaged back I was dealing with this particular issue in my life which you were also dealing with and you had the bravery to talk about it and that's affected me in a big way it's, it's a completely different relationship between the fan and the artist, so to speak, compared to you know the traditional space. That does clear up the numbers thing, and I appreciate that. Let's go back to the question that we asked earlier. How do you wind up at William Morris? Because you said you've been there since WMA. So uh, I was at the ACM in Guildford, which is sort of an hour outside London. I was doing a business degree that was tailored towards music. So it was record label marketing campaigns, law and contracts, artist management, kind of a broad overview. Of the music space, and they had arranged a internship uh, at a, a record label. One little Indian who Bjork and a, a bunch of cool bands that we actually do a lot of business with, we represent Bjork. And yeah, got I worked there for about six months. So I was doing two, three days at uni, two days at the label, and then working at a weekend job as well, just to sort of pay the bills. And yeah, came out of that, and they put me in touch with WMA. Then the rest is history. I, I was straight out of university went it went into work at. In the music department, you didn't have to do the mailroom. No, so there's there's the uh, in London it w- works slightly differently. You go, you go into Music Central, so there's a, a team of incredible training system where you kind of learn the systems and doing desk coverage and shadowing, you know, uh, other assistants working with agents, and then you kind of work up through there, you know, going to assistant and then from there up to.
1: So you do the time where you learn the whole system and you,
5: you're on somebody's desk. It's not exactly the same thing, but it's very parallel. Yeah, similar. Yeah. And then, as I say, Mark came over, talked about the business in digital. You know, I sat down with Chris Jackerman and, and we talked through what the opportunity was internationally, what our competitors were doing, what signing targets there could be, you know, not just in the UK, but outside of that. And yeah, and then we, we launched the digital department about four years ago. I want to congratulate you on your amazing success
1: in the space. It seems like this is only the beginning. It is. And there's just a massive world for digital as arenas continue to sell out for different things with the word con at the end of them (laughs) that none of us have ever fucking heard of. But we should all try and get our piece of because it's only going to get bigger. 100%. Thank you so much for being here, Alex. Thanks for having me, Dan. WME is just rolling right now. and Alex is just one example why totally exploding in that digital space.
0: Hey, this is Mark Geiger from WME, William Morris Endeavor Entertainment, coming to you on Dan Steinberg's podcast.
1: Celebrating birthdays for the week of March 30th to April 5th, 2018, in the year
0: of our Lord. On Friday, March 30th, wishing a happy birthday to Avenco's Joelle Bertrand. Saturday, Minnesota's own Rick Hansen and Michelle Sabo. Sunday, wishing a happy birthday to Nikki Lockwood, Rose Presents Gene Hollister, and SMG's Jim Q.
1: Monday, 4-2,
0: John Renna, David Justin Merrill, David Lefkowitz, Francois Baptiste, CAA's Jenna Adler, and Nick Van Hood. On Tuesday, wishing a happy birthday to Tony Lopez and Chad Verwey. Wednesday,
1: AEG's Robin Kim artist Andy McKee, Emporium's Aaron Reynolds, Eventbrite's Sarah
0: Mertz, and Trey Vader. On Thursday, the 5th, we're wishing a happy birthday to Ian Imoff, APA's Heath Balmer, and Warp Tour's Kevin Lyman. Happy birthday from all of us at Promoter 101. <music> Hi, my name's Jay Williams from WME, and you're listening to Promoter 101. we got a little for you all this week. We've got a bonus interview with Survivor reality star Johnny Fairplay, the legendary character from the CBS show, drops in with us to talk a little bit about his time on Survivor.
1: Mr. Johnny Fairplay, welcome, Promoter 101. It's good to be here, guys. How are you? Just rocking, my friend. So, pro wrestling,
4: Survivor, dude, you are all over the place. A uh, podcast soon-to-be legend over on survivalofthefairest.com, slinging t-shirts at johnnyfairplay.com. I don't care if you spell it J-O-N-N-Y or J-O-H-N-N-Y, Fairplay, because I got them both, brother. I'm all good. In the legend
1: of reality shows, you have got to be one of the biggest names in history and possibly one of the biggest evil villains that TV has ever seen. Uh, I try.
4: (laughs) So a lot of that has to come from your wrestling background, right? Sure. My heroes growing up were uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Ric Flair, the Four Horsemen, Roddy Piper. I mean, I remember in the age of VHS videotapes, there is a video store, a local one, not a on Blockbuster. This was like before Blockbuster. And they had Rowdy Roddy Piper's Greatest Hits on Coliseum Home Video. And I remember renting that multiple times. And then eventually, I think I bought it for, I think it was like $80. I mean, because that's how much, you know, they were back then. And that was like one of my prized possessions. Because they had the, the exclusive Piper's Pit with Roddy Piper interviewing Roddy Piper.
1: That's some old-school half days, my friend. Yep, good times. Of the people that have been on reality shows, they come and they go and you forget about them after their seasons. But you're one of those guys, like you were there and you're a legend. Nobody has ever forgotten about you. And your self-marketing is so incredible.
4: I try to, to mix in some, you know, genuine stuff on my social media, but most of it is advertisements and plugs. But I mean, like, you know, if you buy a t-shirt from me from johnnyfairplay.com, like I call you and thank you. You can ask me questions. I mean, like on Reddit, you know, they were just like, hey, Jeff Probst says these people are banned Is Johnny Fairplay play on the note fly list or not. So I'm just like, I don't think I am.
1: Probst called you the greatest liar in the history of Survivor.
4: He's called me other to things, too. <laughs> that's one of the more complimentary things he's said. In any other world, it wouldn't seem
1: like a compliment, but in the world of Survivor, it does. It seems like that's some serious high praise.
4: Sure. So, I mean, I think my current status with him um, i think i am on the okay list but you know, who knows i mean like we don't chat so he doesn't follow me on twitter but if you want to follow me on twitter you can at Johnny fairplay <laughs> so the pro wrestling thing how active has that been for you lately I mean, I purposely price myself out. If you want me, I'm not cheap. I don't physically do a lot anymore. I mean, I mean I've been doing this a long time. I like to just go to a show and, and hoot and holler and have fun. I mean, you know, as uh, you know, I still do pull-ups every day. I mean, I use a stepladder, but I do pull-ups.
1: You're a self-promotion machine. It's incredible.
4: I, I, I go to Bible study on Monday night. <laughs> just like, is there an off button? This is Bible study. <laughs>
1: Gotta love it. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for taking the time and talking to us on Promoter 101. Thanks, guys. Fair play is something else. That's got to be a land speed record for
0: talking. Stoked that we finally got him on the podcast to talk to us.
1: Louis Messina,
2: and I'm on Promoter 101. If
0: you want to reach out to us, hit us on an email. Email both of us at, at promoter 101net The quote of the week comes from Frederick Chopin.
1: Music has no fatherland. Its homeland is the universe. What do you think
0: about that, Luke? I think that you picking a classical artist for the quarter of the week was a very welcome diversion, Dan. I enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with Live Nation's rich best, UTA's Natalia Natoskin, Festival Republic's Melvin Ben will drop in on us, and we're going to be joined by Mills Entertainment's Mike Mills, who's going to turn the tables on us.
1: I want to take a moment to thank everybody for listening, and until next week, we wish you nothing but sold-out shows
0: for the weeks to come. Cheers. Hey, this is Brian O'Connell with Live Nation and we are on Promoter 101.